Welcome to the podcast known as... Known Unknowns. When you said known as, I thought you were going to start saying known unknowns. Yeah, that was... We need to construct an introduction. Do we? No. Oh, okay. It's kind of our style, right? Right. This is our one. hallmark. Is We don't know what to do at the top. Right. Uh, What can we do? I don't know. What's new, Carly? Nothing. Hmm. What's new, Harry? Oh, nothing much. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Carly. Oh, yeah, you're Carly. This voice is Carly. This voice is Harry. And uh, you know where you're at. Yeah, you're you're uh, you're on your podcast device, listening to known unknowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, um, so anything we need to tell the people? Um, our solid eleven listeners. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, it's more than that. I know. I'm kidding. Maybe, or maybe it's less. Yeah, maybe it's less. Maybe people just hit play and then you know mute it, so then they make us feel better. Well, I, it's more you're... than eleven. I promise. I shouldn't make us sound lame. <laughs> well, I mean, if you are just muting it and hanging play to make us feel better keep it up yeah we, honestly, we like, keep yeah, doing it it'll make me feel that. better i mean you won't hear you won't hear us saying this but uh if uh, <laughs> if if by chance you happen to turn up the volume right now keep yeah. playing us uh we don't care if you listen or not just uh keep uh making those numbers go up yeah. so that we uh mm-hmm. feel good yeah um also you should follow I mean, I'm sure if you listen to this, you probably follow our Instagram and Twitter and liked our Facebook page. But you know mm-hmm. what? You should invite everyone of your friends right. to like our Facebook mm-hmm. page and tell your friends to follow our Instagram page. Mm-hmm. There's people that I know and that I that we follow that don't follow us back. <laughs> and I'm like, you are my friend. You should be following me back. Anyway, I'm not going to start this. Yeah. It makes me sad. I'm like, please just support my podcast. We want to make friends with this podcast, not not drive them away. Yeah, okay. I know. I know. Or not. Or we can... We can, uh, well, we I'm can... not driving anyone away. If they're not following us, they're not You're right. listening. You're right. We know this. So I thank mean, you for following us and listening to it. If you've... If you're listening to us, you have definitely and decided not to follow us. Then you have made that choice. We have made that plea many times before, and you have you've stuck by your choice, and I respect that. Okay, you're standing up to peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Um, is there any? Uh, why are you like really quiet on the? Why is I don't it, know. Like, really quiet on the, is the. I don't know how to do technology. No, I don't know how microphones all the way down. work. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it does look... The waveform is smaller than normal. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to fix hey. it. Oh my gosh, I have those clickers. Oh yeah. Wait, hold my wine. Okay. All right. Entertain them. Um. Okay, so one conspiracy theory I have is that... Uh, car manufacturers intentionally make uh, SUVs and trucks more dangerous for pedestrians to like 
make it more likely that pe more people get killed on the road so that the roads seem more dangerous so that more people will buy bigger trucks and SUVs. Oh. Wow. <laughs> That's That's sad. I don't I don't know if I believe it believe it but like I'm not going to say that that isn't true. It's Where'd just a fun that? I made it up myself. Oh. Cool. Then you should write it down somewhere and show people. Yeah, I'll get show people Show the world. Okay. Don't click it. Oh, okay. Should we show them though? No, well, they're going to be annoyed. I mean, they you don't said I okay, have wait. the you, you brought up okay. the clickers and then I was vamping while you got them. So right. I feel like so that I was just these, a waste. <laughs> you were you know the dog trainer clickers? Yeah, well, I learned in my, um, you know, voiceover class that when you're doing long voiceovers and you mess up, there's like the punch and roll, which I don't know how to do because I'm not tech savvy, or there's just like the click and go or whatever it's called. And you get like a dog clicker and then you like, anytime you make a mistake, you click the dog clicker and then it'll make like a big spike in the waveform on uh -huh. your recording. And yeah. then you know where to go back and edit because there'll be like a big, huge clipped like mm -hmm. yeah. spike. Very clever. Yeah. So you don't have to listen to the whole thing to like right. edit it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to click it. Oh God. Okay. Click it. And you will either hear it or not hear it, depending on whether we decide it's too irritating. So we, we have need to, to know that the first click is just part of the actual recording. Oh, okay. Hey, stop it. Oh. They don't want to hear it anymore. Sorry. That's so that's fun. the dog clicker. You were supposed to click it once. Oh, I didn't know Look that's at all the. Cl yeah, I know. Okay. All right. Well, see, that's how we know that it's like not a legitimate click because oh, there my. are like six of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um. So I went. So I guess I went first last week. Yeah, that's what we discovered. Okay. Uh -huh. So you go first this week, right? Uh, yes. Cool. All, all things being equal, I will go first this week. Great. Come up to the mic, sir. Okay. So I am going to Come up talk. closer to the mic, sir. All right. So <laughs> I am going to talk. Okay. When I'm like close to the mic, it yeah, seems yeah, yeah. like I it's a... Yeah, I see the wave. Okay. You're like three inches. You need to be a little further away well, from the mic, like here. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How fun is it to listen to us talk about uh, waveforms and um, microphones and stuff? Mm-hmm. So very, fun. Very fun. Wait, is this in the right setting back here? Uh, yeah, is it, it is. Is it on the double-sided like, yeah. thing? Mm -hmm. It is. How come it's not loud when I talk? I don't know. Is it? Well, Hi! Yeah. Oh, that's... Okay, never mind. <laughs> it's really loud. All right. Maybe we'll cut that out. Maybe not. If it's really long, which I feel like it might be. Our stories are getting longer and longer. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, they, to... it may be more than an hour mm -hmm. now. Yeah. I I didn't... Well, okay. So I'm going... So let's start. All right. Sorry. <laughs> you were starting and I... All right. Just start. Start, uh, start, start. May I start now? <laughs> yes. Okay. So we have... I'm just going to start... I'm just going to start reading right now. Okay? Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. All right. Uh-huh. In 1984... Wait, you didn't tell them what you're doing. Oh, uh, I'm doing... Operation Gladio. I was okay. gonna, I was gonna reveal that oh. at the end of my little introduction. What Sorry, it was do you? Should we cut that out? No, all right, no. We'll start it doesn't over. matter. We'll start over. No.
Are you sure? Yeah, no. It's oh, fine. man. Okay, sorry. I ruined it. No. Okay. So, in 1984, an Italian judge uh, was uh, looking into an unsolved car bombing that had occurred 12 years earlier in the city of Petiano. Uh, while the attack had originally been blamed on a far left-wing terrorist organization called the Red Brigades, uh, none of the individuals uh, charged with it originally had been convicted. Okay. Um, this judge, named Felice Casson, uh, reopened the case to examine the various inconsistencies and irregularities of the original investigation. Question. Yeah. Why, why, why did the judge reopen the case? Uh, I, I mean, I know you don't know anything about their... Well, it legal was system, but like, why did why can a can a judge open up a case? I guess so. I don't. Or does yeah. it need to be like an investigator, cop person? No, it seems to be a Interesting judge. Interesting that a judge was he involved in the original case? Like, was he the no. judge on the original case? No, he was a. No, oh. I don't believe so. Huh. Um, okay. I, there were other investigations going on at this time that I will mention later that okay. may have that are part of the reason this one was probably reopened. Um, okay. Okay. But, okay, so he reopened the case, um, and in doing so, he uh, uh, the things he found opened up a whole can of worms. A can of worms, the likes of which <laughs> conspiracy theorists dream of opening. Ooh, because, so I would love it. Yeah, because yes. these worms have names like secret societies, the mafia, false flag terror attacks, the drug trade, the Shit. Vatican, the secret Vatican. weapons caches. Is the Vatican a conspiracy? Well, no, it's connected. It's connected to this conspiracy. Okay. I, I don't know how. That's uh. Well. Sorry, yeah. I so, interrupted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a whole bunch of other like stuff is also wrapped up. They're all all these worms are tangled together in this can, and the <laughs> label on this can like says, not. "Operation Gladio." Operation Gladio. Is this a conspiracy? I yeah. So I think. So I'd call it a conspiracy. Yeah, but it doesn't. Most of it is fit. actually real. Or yeah, a lot. It it like parts of it vary. Okay, um, will you explain as you go yeah, which so, ones are very factual and which ones are yeah, slightly less factual? I'll do my best. Yeah. Okay. Um. You know what's really funny? Yeah. Um, Harry doesn't copy and paste things, so when he reads stuff like this off of his page, <laughs> it is all his writing. This is original Pretty content much. from him. I mean, he doesn't really copy and like the can of. Well, did you copy and paste the can of worms thing, or did well, you write no. it? <laughs> See, he's a good storyteller. He's a good writer. Okay. Can Thank of worms. You. I would have just copy and pasted big words off of Wikipedia that I didn't understand. <laughs> I. I wouldn't say this is like wholly original, what I'm talking about. I definitely was heavily inspired by another podcast. Okay, well, Can of Worms. Okay. That was original. Yes, that was original. But the rest of what I'm talking about, I've kind of... Stolen? Taken in, well, taken inspiration from. <laughs> I've so based my research off okay. of a, a okay. podcast right. episode that someone else did. Um, anyway. All right, continue. Tell me about Operation. Yeah. I've never heard of Operation Gladio before. Yeah, well, it's uh, so I I'd, I'd call it like a a conspiracy with a lot of theories attached to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to like. It's not like a regular conspiracy theory, and, and like there's one like pat like through line, mm -hmm. like you know, this thing that you think is this way, it's actually this, and here's why. It's more like. Okay. Just this sprawling, like, this 
big sprawling subject with like rabbit holes branching out in all directions. Okay. And so it would be like... So it's like one long story with lots of different plots, but there's different twists and turns within each plot yeah. that are very weird. Is that Basically, accurate? yeah. Okay. So it's like, it's super complicated and there's like <laughs> okay. no way that I'd be able to give you like a full like a full a thorough explanation of everything like tied up into it so i'm like gonna try to have my part of this episode be sort of like a sort of like an appetizer sampler or like (laughs) a tapas menu maybe where i'll I'll just try to give you bites of like different like pieces of the gladio conspiracy cool and you know maybe if you're inspired to look into it on your own you can uh, do that and make yourself a full meal or cool. if you want or if there's something that you want to hear more about you can uh, let us know let us know yeah and i can uh, spend another episode digging into more detail into a particular or particular parts of this cool. anyway Okay, so so at the heart of what all this is is a fact um okay. and then as you work your way out from that the information becomes more difficult to confirm and lines of inquiry become more tangled up and hard to straighten out. Um, but uh, we'll start with what I can tell you confidently is true. Okay. Um, which is that throughout Western Europe, after World War II and throughout the Cold War, um, the United States and Britain formed, created a network of stay-behind operations um, in preparation for a potential Soviet attack. Okay. Um, so a stay beh- a stay behind operation is basically a secret military infrastructure, kind of paramilitary infrastructure, I guess, designed to come into use after an area is occupied by an invading enemy. So okay. in the case of Gladio, um, the idea is like they hid these all these secret weapons caches as well as like other materials, especially like cash like just money in like caves and like old church basements and like in areas and stuff in like areas in their own country or other people's or Uh, other countries so this was this was this uh plan was spearheaded by the united states and britain so and they so they were hiding things throughout europe in like other countries and then they would work to like create a network of like organizations oh, within that country okay, okay. who could then use those things in case like the communists and yeah so they could hit them from the inside yeah if the soviets okay. like invaded and then took over a country then like right from the bat they'd right. have like a ready-made like oh, anti-communist shoot. resistance force. why don't we learn about this in history class wait so do the... we and i just didn't pay attention no, i'm not, not really. a history person if anyone <laughs> knows me you know i don't know anything about geography history nothing like when is when was world war ii i don't know i couldn't tell you 100 years ago a thousand i don't know <laughs> I, 64 was, um is that when it ended no it, it, it shoot did, it 46 ended. 45 45 we oh close. Ended okay, okay, in okay okay 1939 <laughs> to 1945 is when the, <laughs> the second is when world war ii was yeah. give me a math equation and then the cold war was mm-hmm. like basically from right after this world war ii was after world war ii yeah right okay. after world war ii up until like the 80s or 90s anyway, okay okay um, sorry keep going okay so so yeah so we created this network um throughout europe um operations like this were set up all over europe in like every nato country and several non-nato countries nato's the north atlantic treaty organization which was set up during the cold war so that like 
I was thinking of NATO Perry Perry Chicken. <laughs> That's Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. well, it was close. Nando. All right, I'm gonna stop interrupting. <laughs> you can no interrupt. I don't know you can anything. Interrupt. Okay, Please. so so okay. NATO's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's like very, very all chicken. the <laughs> all the, like the U.S. and all its allies in Europe basically okay. join together. We're like if. Russia attacks one of us, we're all going to join in the war defending you. We're, we got your back and stuff. So they're basically. scared of Russia. Yeah, yeah. We're cool. scared that Naturally. communist Russia is going to Oh, try we're to... scared of communists. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah we're scared of, mm-hmm. So communists. technically, Gladio was only the official name of the Italian branch of this uh, program, which is what I'm mostly going to be talking about today. Okay. So Operation um, Gladio was a real operation, right? Yes. Like it's not the name it's of like the conspiracy. Legit... It's like this is Operation yeah. Gladio. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. a cool name. <laughs> yeah. It had other names in other countries. Um, okay. like in Tur- This one is Italy? Yeah. This okay. was in Italy. Um, operation Gladio is like also, it's also the term they use... It's sort of an informal term for like the operation and throughout Europe, like in all the other countries, like as a whole, mm-hmm. just because it's the most well known and stuff. Okay. But when I mostly, I'm going to be talking pretty much all, only about uh, Gladio in Italy today. Cool. Um. Uh. So, uh, I'm going to start with saying that not a lot is confirmed when it comes to the hierarchy of Gladio and exactly like who was making what orders when um but so this is like a secret society no basically kind of, kind like of. government secret society kind of yeah it's like okay. a secret a secret like military and intelligence oh, okay. uh, program, i'm like trying to basically. wrap my mind around this i think i'm getting yeah it. hopefully it becomes secret a little more military. clear as it goes on yeah okay so okay. but like so hierarchy mm-hmm. in yeah so we yeah so like the first um okay let me see yeah so i'm gonna describe as much as i've been able to piece together uh, throughout this as i can um because no one's ever confirmed like who was in charge when okay. and in charge of what specific things um but after the u.s put it together um the people we got to like carry out operations like on the ground like to be the foot soldiers of it basically mm-hmm. um uh, came from two groups. Um, first, the mafia, as oh, well shoot. as former fascists in mafia. Italy. Mafia. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so during World War II, we'd begun like building up relations with both of them. With um, the mafia. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We'd actually uh, because uh, with the mafia, we'd coordinate with with them to like help break up strikes. Um, oh we'd we'd let like one of the like this big mafia boss like out of prison even to <gasps> um, like basically run security at the new york docks basically to like prevent sabotage and to like but really it was just to like uh you know like crack down on the unions and stuff okay so the mafia is involved in operation gladio yes oh shit Um, i I don't powerful thing Mm -hmm. yeah it's hard Mafia uh, and fascists. And yeah, the okay. fascists as well. Um, and Got so it. as for the fascists, toward the end of World War II, as the U.S. would go into an area that had been controlled by an Axis power and liberate it, yeah. uh, we'd, we'd like negotiate with like the Nazis that are in, in charge there or other farm fascist party and intelligence 
leaders to try and get them to like switch sides mm-hmm. um, to help us so we could like so we could either you know get them out of the country so they could come and like build rockets or whatever <laughs> for us back in the US or you know if there wasn't uh, or if you know it was possible for them to stay in Europe and not be prosecuted for crimes against humanity we'd like have them <laughs> stay around there oh. so that we could use they could be assets for us in our fight against uh, communism basically and so (laughs) like the first time that these connections became really useful for us um was in 1948 when italy had a general election um so this is three years after world war ii ended why Um, are why is so this is europe and the united states right yeah why are we so obsessed with italy and what they're doing um because they're we're communism are we just terrified of communism anywhere yeah and everywhere yeah mm-hmm. okay i and feel so, like i knew that yeah okay we're, we're worried that um after we've like said after we've had like the con- yalta conference and others at the end of world war ii where we like split up europe and we say over here the u.s and uk can have influence and these countries are going to be like capitalist democracies mm-hmm. and then over here uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, you can have control over this this area. You can have these countries do communism okay. if you want. Okay. Um, and so we're worried that Russia is, uh, or the Soviet Union is going to want to take more territory and invade the uh, other part of Got Europe. Um, and so that's so why we're saying. what does Italy have to do with communism? Um, they, well, They're not communists. Well, so after World War II... Sorry. Um, okay. So that comes into play with the 1948 election. Oh, um, oh, yeah. We were talking about that. <laughs> 1948 election. Um, so like a lot of areas that had been under Nazi control during the war, uh, Ita- Italy had a really strong communist party. Oh, um, People really? like, yeah, had a lot oh, of goodwill shit. toward the communists there. Um, because <laughs> when the fascists took over, like before the war and at the beginning... Um, you know, the, like the moderate, like liberal establishment had basically just like crumbled of under pressure from the right. Okay. They'd like either, you know, tried to like make deals with them. And then when those would fail, they'd just like, you know, just like roll over or like go into hiding, basically. Roll over. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, everyone on the right just like slid all the way to the right and went full on like fascist oh, oh. nazi stuff um Ew. and so okay Sorry. <laughs> and so the communists like in a lot of places were like the main group associated with like being responsible for any kind of like vigorous resistance against the fascists um oh. so um yeah so the communists like ended up like being the only political faction really to come out of the war like looking better than they had before basically because they had like put up a lot of resistance like fighting back against the communists like they like they uh, backed a lot of like the resistance movements in like France and in Italy and other Who places are these around here the No the communists Oh the communists Yeah they they were fighting against the fascists like Got on it. you know basically on our side Okay um in World War Two, and so they, so after the war, like people, you know, liked the Communist Party a lot, um, yeah. and so sense. you know, we've we've spent we've been, we've already put a lot of energy into like making sure that we're ready in case uh, Western Europe is invaded, but uh, there's a chance that like they could just vote in a communist government in Italy yeah. because that's what the people want. That could happen. Um, okay. But you know, we can't 
that that's not what we had in mind when that's we said there we were going to be a democracy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, oh no! What do we do? Okay. Uh, what do we do? So, so the Communist Party were in a great position to take over control of Italy's government. Um, the other party which formed to challenge them was called the Christian Democratic Party, um, <laughs> which basically encompassed <laughs> pretty much any view to the right of communism. Um, so. So like oh everyone, Every, so like lot, basically you'd have like everyone from like Bernie Sanders to Ted Cruz oh and my. everyone in between. Wow. <laughs> um, it's like that. That's like how powerful the Communist Party was. Like that they needed to create a coalition of yeah everyone else yeah to beat them. <laughs> like, oh every, my gosh, mm-hmm. they were really. I mean, I guess Ted Cruz would probably end up on some like fringe like fascist party, but still like. You know. And Bernie Sanders, would he really be in? I feel like all right. Well, he'd maybe probably be more on the communist side. Maybe he right? personally would be, but like someone with someone his view, with his, with his okay. platform yeah, in yeah, 2019, right, right. Yeah. Uh, they would be running on the Christ, in the on the Christian Democratic ticket. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so so yeah, that's so obviously we don't want the communists to win this election. So the U.S. starts like funneling millions and millions of dollars to the christian democrats uh, to finance their campaign um and so like Jeez. the cia is sending a lot of tons of money the state department's giving them lots of money to print like posters and like have like radio ads and stuff all oh, over God. the country um um but that's that that's not enough that it still seems like it's going to be a close election so like in the last month of during the election we start oh. getting like the neo the mafia and the neo fascist groups involved to start oh, causing shoot. trouble uh have oh, them no. start doing stuff like starting fights at rallies <gasps> like uh intimidating voters stuffing what? ballot boxes oh my god <laughs> yeah and so so the christian democrats end up winning the election i think they get 48% of the vote or something um and so they'd go on to like keep control of parliament for decades i think they from then until i think 1994 when the party was dissolved due to some scandal oh um the yeah the christian democrats were in control of parliament um wow that's a long time <laughs> yeah but Jeez. i mean after this the communist party didn't like it didn't like disappear off the face of the earth or anything right um they still had like a solid like 20 to 30 percent of parliament for like a long time after that and they mm. kept like a strong profile in like local governments around the country as well they had they like still pretty communist uh i'm not sure what the current state of italy's like okay. um what their political state is like yeah um yeah. yeah but they the communists like they were like they were well represented in local government they controlled a lot of like town councils <laughs> mayorships and they had you know they had like alternative newspapers and media and stuff oh. but <laughs> the christian democrats were in charge of like the national the national politics and they were able to like keep the communists in check throughout like the 50s and most of the 60s mm-hmm. um so during that time um gladios uh you know the intelligence operations continued to build out the gladio network like growing neo-fascist paramilitary groups you know maintaining and adding to like weapons and money and explosive stockpiles you know waiting for a soviet uh, invasion that never ended up coming mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know so eventually um the so global social upheaval of the 60s um came to italy um and you know there were lots of like left-wing protests and stuff 
or people, you know, being mad that you know, the Christian Democrats were not doing enough to, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. help poor people and uh, other, you know, uh, everything that leftists like. When did it come out that this was ha- that that happened? Like the whole we gave them a bunch of money and also mafia did a bunch of bad things um, to rig um, the election. I'm not sure like rigged, exactly right? when that particular part of it came out. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, uh, operation Gladio was started to be uncovered, started to be uncovered in the eighties, but it wasn't like confirmed until 1990. Um, oh, are there people who don't believe that this actually happened? I mean, I'm sure there are, I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so at the at the end of the 60s um uh beginning in 1969 uh a period of italian history known as the years of lead started um, okay wait when was this uh, starting in 1969 the years of lead uh were a period of frequent political violence coming oh. from both the left and the right in italy yeah okay so. coming from you know, hundreds of deaths and thousands of injuries oh my of gosh. people. From what protests? And uh, stuff? no, from this. This is when they'd like moved beyond protests, like riots. Yeah, and like <laughs> bombings and assassinations oh, oh. and shootings and stuff. Oh my god! Um, and so this lasted until the late 1980s. Um, it was during this time that uh, Gladio, um, impl- implemented a so-called strategy of tension um so before i get to that um so i mentioned that like the foot soldiers of gladio were like far-right military group militia groups um and then there were mobsters involved on the ground and also i i can't uh you know i didn't have enough time to write and do enough research on this but they were also possibly helping to like launder money for uh the cia slash gladio or to help like finance the operations do with the heroin trade um and okay so that's like the bottom to lower middle i guess um and then at the top you know you've got the united states and britain like intelligence services who like came up with the plan and started it and then after nato was formed that organization took over some amount of power. Um, and then at some point, the Italian intelligence agencies also took over some degree of control um, as well. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, after it came out, uh, everyone was like pointing fingers at everyone else. No one like was taking responsibility for this thing mm-hmm. going on and existing. But and they were all um, saying, no, this was a NATO operation. This was an Italian operation. This was the U.S did this um anyway mm-hmm. uh but there was also another group that are super that is super interesting and mysterious um that was responsible for directing gladio uh it was called p2 um okay. aka called in italian propaganda due um propaganda due due okay. propaganda two um propaganda two. <laughs> p2 p2 yeah P2 was a Masonic lodge um, in Italy that was made up of uh, like elites from Italian society. Um, members of it included prominent journalists and media personalities, politicians, members of parliament and cabinet ministers, high-ranking members of the clergy, industrialists, uh, military leaders, leaders, <laughs> um, and the the heads of all three of the main Italian intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so so in the early 1980s, the leader of this group's house was raided, and there they found membership rolls with names of like almost a thousand like prominent Italians who were like part of this group. Um, uh, that where they also found meeting notes uh, detailing plans for stuff like uh, false flag terror attacks, assassinations on like like political activists and enemies. Um, they found stuff. So the P2 group was going to do this? Yeah, they were. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and the, so this is where they found... Uh, against uh, communists? Mm-hmm, yeah, against oh the gosh. left. Yeah, or, or well... against the left. Also, I mean, so... Or at least stuff that could be used to damage the left. So this oh is where God. the strategy of tension comes in. Okay. That's what P2 called this uh, strategy. So that's how we found out about the strategy, strategy of tension. Mm-hmm, because yeah. Because we rate, people raided this group's place yeah the leader Mm -hmm. oh my gosh so like they would set up terrorists or they were gonna like you know set up a fake terrorist attack and make it sound like the left did it yeah basically so yeah that was that was their attempt to like capitalize tension oh i get it to make them look bad yeah like so (laughs) yeah that and they wanted to just like heighten the sense of chaos and like terror in the country they did a lot of that stuff right Mm -hmm, yeah So like the uh the the years of the years tension, of lead the years of lead mm-hmm. were they in charge of that then um so it so it it did start like organically like but oh. like um, but then they were like oh let's use this so yeah so so the years of lead like started when like you know leftist students got fed up with like peaceful organizing peaceful Amen. protesting and, and they were like protests no i'm kidding <laughs> continue peaceful they were like fed up with like the communist establishment it wasn't doing enough it wasn't militant enough mm. And so they thought it, well, that what was necessary to overthrow capitalism was a revolution. Um, yeah. And so uh, okay. the the biggest, most well-known group to come out of this movement was called the Red Brigades. And so they started doing various acts of violence, like bank robberies, oh bombings, and stuff. Mm-hmm. They were, they were wow. all generally pretty, like, simple and, like, well, I'll get into that in a little bit in a second. Um but so the strategy of tension was P2's attempt to like capitalize on this um, so that, you know, uh, it would seem like there would be even more violence going on. So people would be even more freaked out. And so that they would like so that the people would like just get so, you know, sick of it that they'd like accept or even demand like a strict like authoritarian, like right wing, like rule in the country, basically, so wow. that it would basically allow you know it would allow p2 to like come in and take over like consolidate the media and get rid of trade unions and stuff (sighs) um and so yeah so they wanted to accomplish this by perpetrating even more violence that could be blamed on the left or that could at least like yeah so there were a lot of like terrorist attacks at this point that where like it originally came out that it was like this left-wing group like the red brigades who was doing this stuff for instance um uh, the Bologna train station bombing, which like killed eighty five people and injured two hundred more, they like uh, yeah. it on this they they initially group. yeah, and then later on it came out that there was actually this like it was this P2? it was a well, it was a group was called a... Ordine Nuevo, Nuovo, so which a lot was of groups like this. Yeah, there were a lot of like Ordine Nuovo was one of the bigger main ones, but there were t- there were also a lot of like different smaller like groups. Um, that's scary. Like that's scary to think about like 
I just can't imagine living here mm-hmm. and like being scared to, I don't know, was this a point in time where they were just scared to go outside because so many things were happening or is this just, am I overthinking this? Um, I mean, it, am I thinking I'm, this is bigger than it is? No, I'm sure. I mean, because I, right now I'm not too terribly scared to go anywhere in the United States and just be like, oh no, right. riots everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't know exactly don't know. like how successful this was and like, can't sowing a sense of chaos um i don't know maybe uh just i don't know equate it to like the sense of like just general like back of your head nervousness that a mass shooting is gonna happen okay. where, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah that's that's like what i i don't but i, I don't really know what it was like mm-hmm. um yeah I'll, I'll, another thing that is there it's less proof there's less evidence a around who did this um the the kidnapping and murder of aldo moro who was the prime minister of italy oh my gosh um so he was like in like basically broad daylight part his like his like his like motorcade or something was going through town or his security he was like with a security detail like moving somewhere and these people came in and like shot all the security guards and kidnapped him what yeah um so did he fake his own death though what if he's hiding out wait is this a thing well so so the reason that people think that um gladio is related to it is because a it was a really like a really like well done operation basically like super like super organized strike which doesn't line up with how a lot of the other like red brigade attacks were they were more they were a lot simpler they were just like you know like yeah pissed off like you know philosophy majors and stuff you know weren't they young like (laughs) just mad angry Mm -hmm. so it was like a really like well-coordinated attack also aldo moro was he he was a he was a prominent member of the Christian Democrats for a long time, but toward the end of the career, his career, um, he was kind of, he wanted to bring more stability to the party. Uh, there was a lot of like infighting to it and he wanted to like help to the, like to the government. And he wanted to like help that by like allowing more of the communists uh, in parliament to have, to come into the party and have a little more power and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was hoping that oh, that would, uh, no. um, yeah, that would help um, the oh stability situation um but before while he was considering that he visited the united states where he talked to uh henry kissinger i think it was who um was a uh, secretary of state um and uh who said that if you do this you will uh if you like let the communists take any more power you'll you'll regret it and stuff in a there's something else in a really like menacing, threatening way that really freaked out Aldo Moro. He like wanted to quit politics after that, basically. Oh, um, but when he got back to Italy, this happened, and <laughs> that he was, he was, he got kidnapped. They like killed all of security detail without like hurting him, and then they found him like days later in the trunk of a car. And the attack was like originally like blamed on the. Uh, the left those later found out that a lot of the people that it could have it was probably more likely done by a right-wing hate group or, or oh. something 
but you know it, it, even with or well it was originally planned on this left-wing group but then it was found out that they didn't do it they couldn't have done it so it was like planted on some oh so it was and uh, i uh, they, i don't think they ever found out actually who was responsible or but it definitely, but you know there was enough confusion around it that like any any ideas of getting the communists more involved in government were like uh like brushed away yeah, yeah. um yeah so so uh, yeah, so Operation Gladio started to become found out about um, during the 1980s. Um, the uh, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, that judge who was looking into the car bombing, he found uh, he found out that the uh, the uh, explosives expert who'd been working with the police on the case, named Marco Morin, um, he was actually a member of Ordine Nuovo, um, and was giving them false information. Um, so that it would, so that the he was telling them the explosives that were used in the attack came from the Red Brigade. This judge, when he looked into it, found out that the weapons that were found in it actually, or that the explosives used were actually C4 that was identical to C4 that had been found at um, a weapons cache that was found like in near the oh. city of Trieste, um, and. Like uh, also in coincidentally in 1972, um, so it turns out that it's a lot more complicated than he thought, and so he f- tried to f- you know go into the uh, um, the files of the uh, Italian like secret intelligence uh, um, agency, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that he could you know try to find out where this who who was responsible for this weapons cache. They found out that it was connected to these far right groups as well as the Italian government and stuff, and so in 1990, uh, the Prime Minister of Italy, uh, I don't remember his name, uh, Giulio Andriotti, I think, um, he gave a speech to Parliament where he admitted that there had been this operation called Operation Gladio going on in the country, and mm. he, uh, he 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 like made it clear that like this Italy's not the only place where this is happening or the, where this has happened. Um, and so that led to the European Union then like declaring that we need to have investigations into this. Um, although only like five countries ever did actually like do investigations into it. And a whole lot about it is still uh, very much unknown. Hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, that's about all I have. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any questions. No questions. Okay. No. Good. Not really. Yeah. So, so more, more spy stuff from me. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it is. It's very strange. Uh, yeah. I know. I, I, I was. I first heard about Operation Gladio. Well, or I first like got really interested in it when I heard about it on a podcast or an episode of. I think a, a premium episode of Tra- Chapo Trap House where uh, Matt Christman is like doing a good rundown of it. And he, t- he, he has a lot of, he uses it as a context kind of to talk about like conspiracy thought in general, I guess. And like how knowing, you know, if this one thing is true, that can like open a lot of other like doors in your head, but you have to like be careful of where those are, you know, mm-hmm. you gotta like keep your, uh, keep your wits about you as you're. Yeah. Looking for proof and stuff. Mm. Anyway. 
Okay. We can we can we can move on to what you have now. Sure. <laughs> do you want to? Yeah. Okay. I do. I'm very excited about it. Good. I'm I'm curious to hear what you have. Yeah. Are you curious? Yeah, I want to know. Okay. Yeah, sounds, well, you're not going to like it because it's kind of true crimey, but not really. It's more about... Okay, so I'm doing the story of Terry Lee Hoffman and the cult called Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul. Well, those sound uh, like all good things. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it's focused a lot on the... I don't know. There's a lot of murder that happens in here. Well... Um, so you'll see it could be murder maybe not um so if you don't like a lot of stuff about death but i feel like anytime you talk about cults there's a lot of like mass death scenarios you know yeah so um just this is about the cult of conscious development of body mind and soul so in the days after Thanksgiving of 1989 in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. there were report there were reports of a putrid odor Uh-oh. coming out of David and Glenda Goodman's home. Uh-oh. Yeah. So when firemen came, uh, they kicked down the front door because no one was answering. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. And the stench poured out of the house. Oh, no. Yes. So when the firemen kicked down the door, two of them, the first two who were right there in the doorway, stopped, went out onto the lawn, and threw up. So they realized, they all backed away. They're like, okay, no one can go in here without, you know, gas masks and hazmat suits. Mm -hmm. So they all put that stuff on. So then they stepped into the house and saw black clouds of flies swarming around the house and then just piles of dead fly, like, carcasses on the ground. (laughs) Like, just the black clouds of flies everywhere. That's nasty. And then all the dead flies on the ground. Then they came upon the uh, former Southern Methodist University business professor and his wife. (laughs) I don't know what she did. That's all I could find was this big business professor guy and his wife. (laughs) Both 48. They found um, their dead bodies on the floor. Uh, the corpses were close together on the carpet in front of the coffee table, both with guns at their sides. Uh, each had been shot once in the head, and it looked like the gun had been placed right on their skull and shot. But they Ooh. each had different they like it they so it looked like um, they had killed themselves, which mm. they did probably. Oh. Uh, they had been dead for more than a month. Yeah. Who? J- Okay. I was like, wow, that took them a long time. (laughs) They weren't, uh, they didn't have much Very private people. Um, Because the house was locked and nothing was missing, police and medical examiners would conclude that the Goodmans had carried out a double death ritual suicide. (laughs) So to outsiders, the Goodmans had everything and they seemed. Their relationship was great and the two of them were inseparable, Mm -hmm. which nothing really disputed that they did seem inseparable they were they had both had like failed marriages in the past and they had recently married and they were really happy um what people didn't know was that the goodmans 
Um, were looking for some spiritual guidance, and mm. they um, were on a very odd spiritual journey at the time. Okay. Uh, so David and Glenda had set out in search of enlightenment. So to investigators, David and Glenda's discovery of the... Uh, wait. Okay, wait. So it seemed pretty sudden, and there wasn't a lot of, uh, it didn't look like it was very planned because hmm. there was no suicide note uh, or will could be found. Um, no suicide note or will could be found among their belongings. Okay. But in their handwritten journals okay. that G David and Glenda left behind suggest that they had planned their deaths for months. Okay. And they had been um, instructed by God to kill themselves. Oof. And this god that they're referring to oh. is a 52-year-old Dallas spiritual guru named Terry Lee Hoffman. Oh, so not the god I was thinking of. No. <laughs> it's a very different god. Right. So the journal also noted that all of their money and possessions were to go to Terry Lee Hoffman. Mm. So that's the beginning of this story. Okay. Well, really the end of this story. These were like some of the last two deaths that really sparked the conversation. Okay. So it kind of started from the end. So we'll go a little, we'll go back to the beginning now. Okay. So conscious development. Okay. Is the. Conscious development. Cult. Terry Hoffman is a short, plump woman with black hair. Her face seems almost childlike, full, and unwrinkled. <laughs> yeah. To her followers, Terry boasted of her powers. She could see the past and future. She could shield people from harm, even from car accidents and cancer, and she could communicate with the dead. Mm -mm. Yeah. Terry was only three and a half, growing up in Fort Stockton, when three of the masters, is what, I don't know, she calls them, first okay. appeared in a vision to instruct her they would come periodically to her. Mm -hmm. Terry later explained, not all of the time and not all of the time when I wanted them. They taught her about her special abilities and that through God, okay, special abilities through God and meditation. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, and that through God and meditation, she could do anything if she wanted it badly enough. Ooh, like the secret. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she didn't have a great childhood, obviously, um, her family was poor, her sister was stillborn, and her mother was dying of tuberculosis. And at nine, Terry... Oh, and her father died in a plane accident. Mm. So at nine, Terry was sent to a... Oh, wait, no, no, no. That's not her. That's someone else. Oh, that's someone else. <laughs> yeah, at nine, Terry was sent to a Lutheran orphanage in Round Rock where the visions appeared again. Oh. She says it was there that she learned she was the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Avila. Oh. A 16th century Spanish nun. Mm, okay. She experienced visions from the three persons of the Holy Trinity... And believed that the kingdom of heaven could be visited like rooms in a castle. Okay. Yes. At the age of eleven, she so was like, adopted. What? If you're gonna if you're gonna call yourself the second coming of something, find find a you know find a more well known figure than Saint Teresa of Avila. Yeah. I, know. I mean. Well, later she thinks she's like the second coming of God. Well, that's okay. That's obviously. shooting a bit bigger. I know. 
Um, so a month after turning, wait, no, at the age of 11, right, she was adopted by a Dallas oil company clerk and his wife, who renamed her Terry Lee Benson. She remained with her new family for only four years because a month after she turned 15, Mary ran away to hey. get married. Oh. Um, she ran away to Oklahoma. Her first husband was an 18-year-old truck driver named John Ray Wilder. On the wedding license, obviously, both Terry and John lied about their ages by <laughs> three years. And then they returned to Dallas, where Terry was soon pregnant and got and dropped out of high school. Hey. Her daughter, Kathy, arrived in 1954, Kenneth, 1958, and Virginia in 1963. So the two of them lived on a farm in South Dallas County. John supported the family by driving rigs while Terry stayed at home with the children. So, at this time, um, Terry began to dabble in the occult. Ooh. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. At first, she was just reading a mail-order book on hypnotism and the writings of psychic Edgar Case and chatting with other housewives about the meaning of life. Ah. Then, Terry began taking classes in hypnosis. By the late 60s, after the Wilders had moved to the North Dallas suburbs of Farmer's Branch, Terry was leading weekly evening meditation classes of her own. She started a new group called Conscious Development of Body, Mind, and Soul. All right, and here, now we're getting into it. Yes. Part of her teachings was her interpretation of the law of karma. Oh, okay. Uh, Terry this? taught that behavior on Earth or the physical realm, would affect prospects for reincarnation in a higher spiritual realm. Interesting. Yes. Those experiencing misfortune were suffering the consequences of bad deeds in previous lives. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So everyone in the meditation classes sat cross-legged on the floor, listening to her wisdom on everything from sex to personal finance to ghosts. <laughs> She's got a lot of wisdom to give, I guess. Yeah. Then Terry led the group into what some would later call a trance-like state. Mm. Uh, they would cap the evening off with a round of prayer, and individual consultations were also available on any subject for an hourly fee. <laughs> so her husband, John Wilder, okay. he did not like this. <laughs> On December, no. no, he was not. He was like, no, you're she weird. Was, you're creepy. Ooh. This is not okay. She was raking in those hourly fees. Right. Well, oops. Hey. On December 28th, 1970, Terry filed for divorce, explaining to a friend that her husband was impeding my spiritual growth. Wilder and Terry's adoptive mother had her temporarily committed to a um, hospital for psychiatric examination and after persuading a judge that she posed a substantial risk of causing serious harm to herself and or others. In the divorce, she lost custody of her two younger children because of that. Mm -hmm. Terry remarried just four months later. Okay. Her new Getting husband. back on the horse. I know. Was Glenn Scott Cooley, a student at North Texas State University and a spiritual disciple of conscious development. She was 33 years old and he was 20. The, and so he, she like, was dropped... married for a while. Yeah. When... Well, they had three kids. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they were married for a while. So the Coolies bought a house together um, in North Dallas and worked full time in the work of conscious development. 
In addition to her printed lessons and private consultations, so she, like, printed lessons on, like, little pamphlets and stuff and, you know, sold them and also Mm -hmm. handed them out. Um, Terry branched out into the jewelry business. Mm -hmm. She taught that certain gems and crystals, when properly selected and electrically charged, possessed protective and healing properties. She she then decided that she... um, so she was trying to sell them to her followers uh-huh. uh, and persuaded her followers to uh, buy the jewelry she was making okay. to protect themselves. And uh-huh. the more expensive the item, the more power it contained. She was just a Gwyneth Paltrow ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. And so whoever had like the most, you know, rings was just the most like devout um, conscious development uh this person uh-huh. well if it works for the catholics it works for her yep <laughs> so sandy cleaver had the most rings among the group way to go sandy 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 uh, yeah. keep it up well she was the most committed to terry raised in alabama so we're going to talk about sandy a little bit because sandy stays with terry forever okay like yeah. So Terry was raised in Alabama. Sandy was a slender, earnest woman who enjoyed the income from her family trust fund. Yeah. So she was just a rich white lady yeah. who was trying to find some spiritual guidance and was just very lost. And then she found Terry and really just jumped into this. Okay. Yes. So despite her financial advantages and considerable intelligence, Sandy was spiritually troubled, Mm. as I said. Her parents had divorced while she was a child and her mother had spent years in and out of mental hospitals. Her teenage sister died in a car accident. And in 1966, her father died in a plane crash. Whoa. Yeah. So, plane crashes used to be a lot more common. Yeah. Well, remember Terry's. Yeah, I know. Didn't die. Oh, he didn't. No, I said that was a different person. I got it confused. It was just just Sandy. Mm -hmm. One month after Terry's marriage to John Wilder, so remember the leader Terry and Mm -hmm. the first husband. Right. Once um their marriage ended, Sandy a month later filed for divorce, to her uh, divorce from her husband Chuck. Uh-huh. Uh, because she and Terry had agreed he was blocking her spiritual development. Ah. Yeah. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. In a year-long custody battle, her husband Chuck claimed that Sandy was an unfit mother because of her immersion in Terry's teachings. Convinced that conventional medicine was useless, Sandy had refused to allow Chuck to take Devereaux, their daughter, mm. even when really sick, to the pediatrician. She preferred prayer, incense, and incantations. (sighs) Sandy, okay, this is crazy, too. Sandy also placed her faith, so she didn't take them to licensed, you know, physicians. She preferred um, uh, this, uh, okay, Sandy placed her faith and she preferred to take an assortment of unlabeled pills prescribed by an unlicensed healer in Mexico uh-huh. who was recommended by Terry. Oh. So that's who she went to. <laughs> the healer diagnosed Devereaux's condition. So Sandy's daughter. Yeah. Her young daughter. Right. So uh, the healer diagnosed Devereaux's condition telepathically. Uh-oh. Okay. Then shipped bottles of pills to Dallas by bus. 
<laughs> at one point, Chuck, Sandy's husband, yeah. testified Sandy was giving her five-year-old daughter, Devereaux, up to 110 pills a day. What? <laughs> Unlabeled pills from a healer in Mexico that, like, diagnosed her telepathically. That is some, uh... Yeah. But wouldn't take her kid to a licensed, like, doctor. <laughs> Where was this? Oh, in Dallas, Texas. In Texas? Okay. I just... It blows my mind. So a special provision of the divorce decree obligated Sandy to take Devereaux to... O- only to, quote, recognize physicians licensed to practice in Texas, unquote. Mm. Sad I, that yeah. that needed to be in there, but <laughs> fine. <laughs> Oh, that was just this. That's like the craziest part to me yeah. in this story. I'm like 110 pills a day mm-hmm. of just unlabeled, like here, just right. take these pills that this man in Mexico gave me. <laughs> At least the Christian scientists do nothing. I know <laughs> they're not like Jesus. doing things. I mean, oh. <laughs> they're at least oh not doing stuff to harm. I guess I, I couldn't don't know. believe it. I was like, what the fuck? Well, oh. but I mean. So they determined that the healer wasn't right in his uh, uh, diagnosis. I don't know. They Terry and Sandy. <laughs> wait, what? Terry and Sandy. The, the court. <laughs> oh yeah, the court. Yeah, didn't the, like that idea. Oh okay. Well, yeah, but what if? What if he was right? Oh my god. Okay. So after the divorce, Sandy became Terry's full-time unpaid assistant. Hey. So an intern. <laughs> she began rewriting the conscious development correspondence courses and dipped into her own pocket to buy the group a printing press. <laughs> she helped make jewelry. She kept the group's books and wrote its checks. When Terry legally in- incorporated conscious development in 1974, she named Sandy as secretary treasurer. The more involved Sandy became, the less attention she seemed to pay to Devereaux, her mm. daughter. Yeah. Um so, traveling out of town with Terry to sell jewelry, she left Devereaux for days on end in the care of the family's elderly housekeeper, Louise. Louise mm. Watson. Sandy felt certain that her work was worth virtually any sacrifice. <sighs> By the mid-70s, more than 100 people were attending Conscious Development's weekly lectures held at the SMU campus or in a room at the North Dallas's First Unitarian Church. Okay. She and Terry began to speak excitedly about taking conscious development nationwide, about building a school to spread their gospel. So, now I'm going to dive a little bit more, so we're going to turn a little bit, okay. dive a little bit more into the beliefs of this group. This is where it gets wacky. Okay. Ready? Good. Okay. With her group's popularity spreading... Mm-hmm. Terry designated about 25 of her most devoted followers, including Sandy Cleaver, as what she called teachers. Okay. And they would run some of the weekly classes in her place. And it was like a very um, exclu- exclusive mm-hmm. group. Like it was hard to get in. Right. Um, and her followers, so her 25 small group of followers um, that were the teachers, started calling her the Anna... Anatomaji, or the Divine Revelator. Mm. That's what that means. And Terry told Sandy that she could levitate and heal the sick even from hundreds of miles away. She described meditations in which she communicated with the Babaji, 
a legendary Himalayan guru, mm. and another in which she talked to Plato. <laughs> the number of people casually involved in conscious development grew. Right. So, like, just the... Mm-hmm. Not the... Not the inner circle. Not the inner circle. That's what I was looking for. Terry began convening weekly meetings of her inner circle. It said it right here. <laughs> the hand-picked teachers group. There she solemnly revealed that they were members of the White Brotherhood. Oh. Chosen by the masters. So one of these masters was named, like, Mark... Marcus. It was Marcus. Marcus. And Marcus like guided her. His name was just Marcus. And Marcus like comes to her and just like guides her and tells her what other people need to do. Uh So like Marcus is one of the masters. That's what like (laughs) the masters. I don't really know. It gets so dumb. Uh, Do you Um, know what the other ones are named? No. Oh. They only really point out Marcus. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, so. Marcus. So they revealed that the members of the White Brotherhood, chosen by the masters to battle the forces of evil. So their enemies, guess mm-hmm. what they were called? Uh, the the Dark Brotherhood. The Black Brotherhood. The Black Brotherhood. Uh, well, they were called Black Lords, part of the sinister group, the Black Brotherhood. Mm. On behalf of all mankind, the conscious development teachers would have to engage the Black Lords in combat. Oh, no. Okay. okay. So this gets funny Uh, so the black lords exist on the astral and mental planes oh okay well that's better than physical so um so explained instructions distributed to the teachers Uh quote to kill them one must take them to the pits of hell where their soul and lower bodies were to be dissolved unquote Deadlier, the, so the deadliest ones were the black overlords. Since they can't be dissolved in the pits of hell, they have to um, be taken to the electromagnetic dissolving cave. <laughs> and these all existed on the astral mental planes. It's too bad that, like, RPG video games didn't exist. <laughs> she could have just, like, <laughs> she could have just had a career uh, writing those yes. at the time. So we have the black overlords the black lords and then we have the garbons oh or the garbons i'm gonna say garbons because it sounds like garbanzo beans say garbons (laughs) so the garbons were about six feet tall with a long beak uh the garbons have a gargoyle like appearance and they're covered with slime Hmm. yeah they have been known to be able to touch one in the physical realm and leave slime on the body of their victim. <laughs> mm-hmm. Quote, if after 30 seconds or a minute you feel a tingling sensation in your hand or if your hand is shaking, you should assume that you have a garbon stuck to your hand. So using your imagination or going to your mental astral plane okay. of existence, I should say, um... <laughs> You must wrap it in barbed wire, stab it, and kill it. Then, imagine the dead Garbon spinning straight up and dissolving into the universe. And that's how you kill a Garbon. All right. Okay. Seems easy enough. So, to challenge the Black Brotherhood, the teachers armed themselves with magic symbols. A rod, a cup, a sword, and a cloth bag containing a cup of dirt. But the symbols... So, the symbols represented fire, water, air, and earth, and gave the teachers twice the power against the Black Lords if they were, like, armed with these things. Ah. But these symbols that they carried didn't have to be full-sized. So, 
like letter openers and ballpoint pens, could serve as swords. Uh huh. Um. <laughs> so they're sitting in a circle, cross-legged, their eyes closed, and they're like in the air, like uh-huh. they're like jabbing the air with pens yeah. and like letter openers, trying to <laughs> to fight these black lords and garbons, and they're yeah. just like. You can't see me, but I have my eyes closed and I'm just stabbing the air. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. What? What? She really should have. Man. Because, yeah, she had a bright career ahead of her in, like, writing fantasy video game lore. Yeah. But too Mm -hmm. bad she was a cult leader. So Terry encouraged everyone in the group to dress for battle in a robe. And a properly made robe will give you up to 15 times more power. Ah. So I'm sure you could buy that from her. I'm sure. And you have to wear a headband with silver or gold symbols and her protective jewelry. Okay. Each teacher sat inside his or her magic circle. Mm-hmm. So a large circle of cloth inscribed with a triangle. I, I just realized she invented microtransactions too. What? It's another video game thing but like where you can like buy like with real money, like better or different like armors oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the magic circles offered protection and some teachers even slept inside of them. Ah. They, next, they performed a series of protection rituals with their magic symbols. And then the conscious development followers set about the task of killing the Black Lords. So using carefully practiced gestures, okay. the teachers would like slice and dice through <laughs> the air with their ballpoint pens and letter openers. <laughs> Though the fighting was restricted to the spiritual realm, many teachers regarded it as quite real. <laughs> and deadly. Oh, cool. When Terry would suffer any kind of like physical ailment or like sickness, uh-huh. she told her followers she was experiencing that because of the punishment from the Black Lords because they didn't kill enough that day. Oh, no. <laughs> so week after week, the teachers split into separate s- separate groups to battle the forces of evil. The fighting went on for hours mm. and late into the night. Wow. Occasional written updates from uh, Terry's lieutenants offered body counts. They would offer like body counts of how many black lords, garbons, black overlords uh-huh. they killed. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, they had. They must have really believed in it then to go along with all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they did. Wow. I just can't believe. I'm like, what? See. I would have. I know I would join a cult, but yeah. I think I would join more of a hippie, hippie dippy kind of right. cult, not like not a like very a nerdy science Christian fiction video kind game of... cult. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I'm like, uh, no, I don't know about that. Okay, so for six years, Glenn, her second husband, do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, the second college student husband, mm-hmm. right? Had worked full time in the conscious development jewelry business, incorporated as CD Gems, but. After the battles with the Black Lords and the, uh, you know, fake fighting with pens, um, he told his mom that he was scared and he didn't want to be in this anymore and that he wanted out of the whole thing, the marriage, the cult, everything. Uh His mother later testified that in court that he went to him. 
went to her and was like, I want out. I, this is weird. They're fighting Garbons. They're fighting Garbons. Can you come pick me up? Please help me. Can you come pick me up? So Terry and Glenn separated. See, I like Glenn. I, I, <laughs> I like Glenn. He just was into this because he's like, yeah, jewelry, yeah, energizing jewelry gems. You know, that makes sense yeah. to me. Like the gem part was like, okay. And then he started a jewelry business, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so... They separated in 1976, and she filed for divorce. Glenn agreed to expedite the proceedings. Everything was very amicable, and he was still working with Terry on the jewelry business. Okay. And, you know, they were just, like, still going to be partners in this business and be, like, cool with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So the divorce decree was granted Mm -hmm. on January 27th, 1977. Five days later... Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Glenn went to spend the night at a cabin his parents owned... Um, on Lake Grapevine, northwest of Dallas. Mm-hmm. The next day, Terry, re- Terry reported discovering a hand-scrawled note from Glenn in her safe titled, Last Will and Testament. Mm. So, it read, I, Glenn, cool- Glenn Cooley, give to Terry Cooley all of my property, both personal and real. This includes two boats, a 1972 Buick Limited, all jewelry and equipment for its making, and furnishings for the house on Dunhaven Road and all cash. I ask that this will of mine not be contested by anyone in any way for any reason. Oh, that's not suspicious. Last but not least, I give all my love, all my love, to all my family and friends. Oh, well, at least I got that. As explanation for all of this, I can't really say what it is because of. I can't really say what it is because of, but I can say what it is because of... N- what it, it it is not because of okay it is not because of divorce with terry past <laughs> drug experience inability to cope etc <laughs> what it is i myself know but don't have the words for is what mm. this will says mm-hmm. hand scrawled note so terry later told authorities that after finding the note she and two other conscious development members drove with them to the cabin where they discovered glenn's dead body Uh-oh. terry's 25 year old ex-husband had taken off his shoes and climbed into bed foam oozed out of his mouth and a half empty can of Coors beer sat on the nearby dresser and two capsules were discovered when the body was moved a drug screen followed an autopsy revealed the presence of valium and librium librium and cooley's blood the death was attributed to a drug overdose and Terry's account of Cooley's death would be would stand unchallenged for 13 years. All right. If it says in I'm just going to say this. If it says <laughs> if it says in my will, do not contest this will under any circumstances. Please do contest my will. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that I, should just be like a automatic like <laughs> it should just trigger an automatic investigation. Yep. Yep. Okay, so that's what Terry says, but a lot a long time later, a former conscious development teacher told investigators a different story. According to the woman, she and Terry went to the cabin that the night of February 1st, 1977, while Glenn was still alive. Mm-hmm. The woman said Terry had told her on the way to the lake that Glenn was going to the next level. And when they arrived, Glenn, still lucid, said he had consumed the fatal drugs. Interesting. Yeah. So within the teachers group, obviously this like 
terrible death was. You, you know what it was from? The, they didn't the... kill enough black lords. Well, sure. So Terry announced a new defensive strategy. Ready? Okay. Because the black lords had the power to poison blood, their blood. Uh-huh. Well, that's what because that's why Glenn died. Right. His blood. She introduced the strategy of bloodletting. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, those affected needed to drain the poison, so a single sure. syringe full would do it. Okay. And then so after she was like, "Let's do this bloodletting thing." Uh-huh. Mm, um, many people left the group. <laughs> they they were like, "This is too much, too yeah. far." Even the inner circle of yeah. teachers started leaving. But Sandy Cleaver, her faith remained she unshaken. She let the most blood of all. Yeah. So eventually, Terry began telling Sandy that black forces had infected her daughter Devereaux. Oh no. Uh oh. Sorry, this is a long story, but it's good. Are okay. you still interested? Yeah, no, I am. Are you still I know this what's... is interesting, yeah. right? Okay, so fourteen years old, Devereaux attended the private Greenhill School in North Dallas, where she was a good student and wrote poetry. At five feet nine, she was tall. She was popular with classmates and a vigorous athlete, a member of the middle school basketball team and a powerful swimmer. So a good student. Uh-huh. But her own mother was frightened of her. Sandy told conscious development colleagues that evil spirits in Devereaux were trying to infect her energies. Oh, no. Yeah. Devereaux was really sad that her mom wasn't paying her any attention. Yeah. Like, even her mom refused to go to her basketball games because it was she was scared of her daughter and that would affect her energies. How depressing is that? Very. Yeah. Um, so... In 1979, when Sandy was like, hey, Devereaux, you want to go on a trip with me and my fiance, Lynn Fairchild, Uh, a pre-wedding? You want to come on this pre-wedding trip to Hawaii? Do you want to come with? She was super excited because her mom was like trying to bond with her and she was giving her some attention, you know? Yeah. So they went on this trip to Hawaii. So on February 25th, Sandy and Devereaux took a blue inflatable raft and paddled out several hundred yards. Suddenly, a wave knocked them off the raft, and a second one drove them apart and underwater. Sandy said she dove for Devereaux but couldn't find her. Rescuers reached Sandy, bruised and bleeding, atop of a very um, spiky coral reef. Mm-hmm. And Devereaux's body was not recovered for hours. Mm. She was dead. Yeah. <sighs> so, Chuck Cleaver learned that his. So Chuck, the you know the dad mm-hmm. of yeah, Devereaux learned that his daughter was missing when Terry called his home in Dallas at one in the morning. He left immediately for Hawaii and arrived to find Terry the spiritual leader, the cult leader, Mm -hmm. in Sandy's hospital room. Mm -hmm. While Chuck was gone, one of Terry's followers called his home to serve notice that she had a document he needed to see. Mm -hmm. A family friend went to pick it up. (laughs) Terry had Devereaux's will. (laughs) Addressed to Terry and Ben Johnson... Ben Johnson was her third husband. Okay. She's married for a third time now. The handwritten letter stated who was to get her rock collection and her basketball. 
and it left all her money. Devereaux had a $125,000 trust fund mm. to Conscious Development School that mm. Terry and her mother had planned. Mm. It said, quote, I give, devise, and bequeath all of my property, including all rights, titles, and interests of whatever character I may own, and to any property, real, personal, or mixed, wherever situated, to Terry Johnson, who has been to me like a second mother. And just like Glenn Cooley's last statement, Devereaux's will specifically asked not to asks that it not be challenged. <sighs> so Chuck is like, whoa, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. She didn't even talk to Terry. Yeah, never. Like she <laughs> never interacted with Terry mm-hmm. ever. Like she hated the idea of this conscious development thing. And somehow Terry and Sandy find this will of a fourteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the two documents were invalid since minors cannot write a legal will in Texas. Hey. So. That sounds right. Yeah. So Sandy herself, so Devereaux's mom and the assistant, basically to Terry. Mm-hmm. Two months after Devereaux's death. She took out a life insurance policy of $300,000, twice what, of what her state farm agent recommended she take out. <laughs> right. Um, she took it out on herself. Okay. So Terry, Terry uh-huh. was the sole beneficiary of Sandy's life insurance policy. At the end of 1979, she transferred the title of her $180,000 North Dallas house to Terry and then began began paying Terry rent for the privilege of living in her own home. Because she trans- she gave the house yeah. to Terry uh-huh. and then started paying Terry rent because she was now living in Terry's house. What? Wow. <laughs> crazy. <laughs> so, on September 8th, 1981, Sandy and her housekeeper, remember the old housekeeper who took care of Devereaux, mm-hmm. Louise Watson, yeah. left for what was to be a six-day trip to Colorado. Louise, who is now 77, didn't want to go on the trip because she hadn't been feeling well. Right. (laughs) But Sandy persuaded her to go. (sighs) Yeah. So after renting a station wagon at the Denver airport, the two women spent the night with Terry's sister in Colorado Springs, and then they set out for the conscious development property the next day. So they had a conscious development property in Colorado that they wanted to build the school on. And she was going to okay. go check it out. I see. About five that afternoon, in the area known as the Garden of the Gods, Sandy Cleaver drove straight off of a mountain. Mm. Yeah. Drove straight off the mountain. And they know this because it was a sharp curve, mm-hmm. but there wasn't any, there weren't any skid marks so there wasn't any attempt to stop or turn. She drove right off the mountain and killed both, you know, both mm-hmm. of them died. Again, Terry had a will for both Sandy and Louise Watson. <laughs> Sandy had updated it three months earlier and had left everything to Terry. Sure, and Louise, the housekeeper, also had a will that left everything to Terry. Okay, I'm more skeptical of that one. Yeah. So, for Terry, the impact of Sandy's death was devastating, and so she halted all conscious development classes for a while. Hmm. So, wow. Yeah. 
By the mid-80s, Terry had become an all-purpose guru. In addition to spiritual counseling and jewelry, she now offered her own perfume and acupuncture massage therapy. Special rubdowns intended to unclog the body's blocked energy centers. Uh, so word got around after the Goodman's death. Remember the Goodman's, the Goodman's death at mm-hmm. the beginning? Um, so a case finally opens up in January 1990 uh, against Terry Hoffman because they're like, huh, I wonder if she's been killing people. <laughs> She killed two of her ex-husbands. I don't think I got to that. She killed two of her ex-husbands. And both of them died from Valium and Librium in their blood. Mm -hmm. And And both had wills that... Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So she was obviously killing some of the people. Mm -hmm. uh, And obvious... Yeah. So there was definitely murders and blah, blah, blah. So... ADA Cecil Emerson stated that it will be difficult to determine if mind control can legally be a contributing factor in a death. Uh-huh. Um, but also, she definitely just murdered, straight up murdered some of the people. Right. So Hoffman and Conscious Development denied any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, her lawyer, Fred, Fred Time, referred to the investigation as a witch hunt and praised his client's persona. After four years... Prosecutors could not find evidence linking Hoffman to the deaths. So Hoffman filed for bankruptcy in October of 1991, but then she was sentenced to 16 months in prison for 10 counts of bankruptcy fraud in May 1994. I was going to say, she has a shit ton of money. Right. Everyone she knows gave her stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. so people who testified... There was four people that te- were character witnesses at the trial for uh-huh. Terry. Right. Three of the four would later go on to commit suicide and leave all of their stuff to Terry in their will. So this was like mm-hmm. a theme, obviously. Yeah. So she was released after serving a year. Uh, Hoffman later married, <laughs> so this is like her fifth husband, <laughs> married Roger Keenly and changed her name to Terry Lila Keen- Kenley Keenly. Uh-huh. And she started a website about her experience and <laughs> many talents and also wrote a financial advice book. <laughs> She's just an expert on a lot of things. Yeah. And that's the story of Terry Lee Hoffman <sighs> and the cult conscious development of the mind, body, and soul or something. Cool. Oh. So, so that was incredibly long. Yeah, it's Frick, a... that was like an hour long and I'm so <laughs> sorry. But was it interesting? Yeah, it was interesting. Was it? Or yeah. are you just being like... No, oh, it was. Yeah, okay. it was. So she's still... Oh my God. So she's, she's still around. still active, yeah. like doing her mm-hmm. scams and stuff. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> sorry, that was a lot. I should have... That... No, that's okay. Wasn't it... it... It's mm-hmm. just so much stuff. There's so much more stuff to it, though. Like, I'm sure. If you have time to sit down and read about it, that was only like half of it. It was. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So this was a long one too this week. So we should probably wrap up. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. okay. Um, I should not write twelve pages of information anymore. <laughs> <sighs> it was like fourteen size font, though. So, so you know. Yeah, it was less than twelve. Sorry, it was like okay. a sol- Well, no, I don't know how long yours lasted. So I, I think you're. I, <sighs> I think what I think yours started in the around the forty-ish oh. mark. So yours one was like okay, forty so minutes. Okay, so it wasn't that long. Mine was probably okay. like thirty something. Okay. Yours was forty something. So yeah, our stuff is getting longer and longer. So be expecting longer episodes. We'll try to 
keep yeah, them we'll, an hour. Yeah, we'll, we'll try, try not to, to. We'll try to cut them to down. Continue the trend. Yeah, I think my story next week will be shorter. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know what I'm gonna do yet, but yeah, I'll, I'll I have go. an idea. Okay. Good. Okay. Also, if you guys have any suggestions of what you want, if things you want us to do mm-hmm. or talk about, subjects you want us to discuss, like you can also let us know about that too. Right. Because sometimes I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it'd be great to have suggestions. Like, if you guys want to hear about a story or you want us to tell a story, sure, please tell us. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be some hometown, like, mystery. Like, you can just say, hey, talk about the subject or have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Or, uh, I don't know. Or if you, if, if we, if there is something that we've talked about, but you have, like, questions yeah. on or it you still. you want us to, like, if you want to specifically. Right. We can. Sometimes it's pretty you know, broad what maybe we talk we'll, about. Maybe we'll either, uh, you know do that for kind of like a mini episode, episode. of like yeah or we'll, updates on stuff yeah, or exactly like extra we, stuff. that'll be good material for like a bonus episode yeah 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 for like a yeah bonus episode um so we're not sure if we're doing a thanksgiving bonus episode i think we want to yeah so stay well, tuned mm-hmm, yeah if we stay tuned yes we're definitely doing we want to do holiday bonus episodes you know like we did for halloween mm-hmm. um we're not sure about i don't know maybe thanksgiving yeah. like a well, short 30 minute episode you know, yeah if if, if we have time. Yeah, if something shows up on your uh, podcast yeah, feed, then it's then exactly. we ended up doing one. Yeah. And if not, then... So stay tuned. If you, you have know. anything you want us to talk about that, that that's Thanksgiving related, yeah. that we could talk about on our bonus episode, right. let us know. Yeah. And then we'll definitely do a thanks... Because right now we're just like, what would we do? Right. So, so if you have good ideas for that, let us know in the next, you know, by, I guess by Wednesday, probably before. Yeah. Yeah, because that's coming up. Oh, my God. Yeah. Shit. All right. So um, I think that's all we got. All right. So yeah. thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, uh, this has been Harry. And I am still Carly. And uh, this has been... Known Unknowns Podcast. <laughs> uh, keep a weather eye on the sky. Because it's weird out there. Bye. Bye.